Got time for a quick story? It was in January of 1987. My mom and dad and I went out to dinner one Friday or Saturday night. I was eight years old at the time. And even in a city like Eau Claire, somewhat smaller city, if you're going out to dinner on a Friday or Saturday night, you better have reservations or you better plan to wait. And I don't think my parents were planning to wait. We first went up to the old Chinese restaurant on the east side of town, Wu's Pagoda. We weren't going to be getting in anytime soon. So we left and went over to the southwest side of town. There was a Red Lobster. Went in there. Could we get in? Nope, not happening. My parents are getting more and more frustrated, I could tell. So went across the road, and there was a Chi-Chi's. We used to have a Chi-Chi's in Eau Claire. We were going to get in there, finally. Had to wait a bit in the lounge, but we were at least not going to have to wait forever to get a table. And while we're waiting in the lounge, a big screen projector, there was a series of music videos playing, and I'm sure it was VH1, because these were, I guess you could say lighter songs. These weren't hard rock or heavy metal or anything. And I always remember that night seeing... Videos for Mandolin Rain by Bruce Hornsby in the range. Next Time I Fall by Peter Cetera and Amy Grant. Uh, Tina Turner's Two People. And one other video, and, and when I, to this day when I hear the songs, which I saw the videos that night, I have this visceral memory of that night. And there was nothing particularly special about going out to dinner that night, but for whatever reason it had a major imprint on me. And the fourth one I remember seeing was... You Got It All by the Jets. I already kind of knew a little bit about them, even as a kid. They were from Minneapolis. They'd already had a hit prior year, Crush on You. And I found myself liking that song, really liking that song. Not too long afterwards, on a sunny Sunday winter afternoon, probably just before the Super Bowl was on, remember hearing You Got It All come on the stereo upstairs while I was downstairs by, in the family room watching TV. And that song really hit me. It's one of my all-time favorite songs, and I've always liked the music of the Jets. Well, not too long ago, I saw some billboards around Eau Claire saying that the Jets and Expose are going to be performing not too far away in Black River Falls, Wisconsin, 40-odd minutes southeast of the city at Ho-Chunk Gaming in Black River Falls. And so I thought, well, let's get a hold of one of the members of the Jets and talk about their career and coming around here and got a hold of one of them and thus... Let's chat with a member of the Jets, Moana from the Jets. And now, okay, well, first question is, do you go by professionally to go by Moana Wolfgram or Moana Wolfgram Fanga? I just go by Moana or Moana Wolfgram. It's fine. The last name kind of throws people off because it's German. So I just go by Moana um, from the Jets. Because yeah. a, a lot of us remember all the Wolfgrams from the, from the Jets and seeing the, the whole family name right there that kind of came with came with the territory coming in with when yes. the band first hit big back in the 1980s. Now, the, the Jets are performing. The reason we're talking with Moana here is because they're coming here to the Chippewa Valley in, in not too long from now, coming up on May 10th, performing along with Expose. They're going to be at Ho-Chunk Gaming in Black River Falls for a good cause as well. $10 are donated to uh, the Jackson County Humane Society. Of course, it's worth Black River Falls is in Jackson County. For every ticket sold, you're performing with Expose on some other occasions throughout the year. Now, from what I could gather on the assorted tour dates, it looks like some larger scale performances. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the only one where it's just your, just the Jets yeah, and Expose? Yes. You know, um, we're really excited just because we we grew up in Minnesota, right next door, and we used to come to Wisconsin 
quite a lot. And so we're really excited to come. And yeah, we have done a few shows with Expose off and on throughout the last few years, but this will be an isolated show where it's just the two groups together. And we, we were on tour over 25 years ago. So it's always fun to reunite with these girls and reminisce about, you know, the eighties, the best time. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did, how did the connection begin? I mean, let's go back for expose in particular, and then leading back up to today for, for this particular show. So how did, how did the Jets and Expose start to cross paths? Because obviously your first hits came within about a year of each other's when you first had your top 10, top five hits. Yes. Well, when we came out as the Jets, I was 11 years old. So details are a little bit fuzzy <laughs> for me, but I do remember in 1987 and 1986 um, work, working with Expose on different shows. And they were, you know, just coming out as well. So it's just kind of that fun time where we're all kind of going through this surreal moment of is this really happening for us can't believe it and we're fans of theirs and they're like no we've been huge fans of yours so <laughs> we did a, a lot of shows back in the day with them and then it like 20 years go by and then we reunite on a bunch of these 80s um you know shows and we just start to reconnect and say well how many kids do you have are you married what's going on <laughs> so it's funny to see what's happened after 25 years to everyone and where they're at in their lives, and if they're in the business, or did they go away and you know lay low? Um, that's probably been the best thing about reuniting. So Expose, um, yeah, just a wonderful group to work with. We're excited to come and do this show with them. Uh, what other '80s acts do you particularly enjoy working with? I mean, I, I presume obviously all the ones that you do perform with, but what in, in in particular have been like? Oh my gosh, now I get to actually be on the same bill with blank act. What are some of those? <laughs> Oh, you know, uh, getting together with a lot of our label mates has been fun. Jody Watley was in, was one, um, Ready for the World, New Edition. Um, they were some of our MCA label mates. Um, but we've been uh, just excited to work with Zap and Midnight Star. Mm. Uh, when we get a chance to work with Morris Day in the time, it's like seeing family from Minneapolis. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, wonderful to see what's happened to everybody after so long. The funny thing is our kids love 80s music didn't even know it's from the 80s but they're you know they're jamming it on their radio today or on their headsets and that when we bring them to the show they're like wait this is who i'm like yes best music ever came out of the 80s <laughs> they don't even know it well so, and, uh, well yeah. and on that note of the sound and you mentioned morris day in the time and the minneapolis sound and I'm going to start with curiosity in, in with delving into that particular element of of the Jets' history. Listening to that, mm-hmm. I can't. It, it almost sounds like the sort of song I could have heard in Purple Rain. No lie, I'm not just yeah. saying that. I mean, <laughs> it fits because I mean, I know David yeah. Z. For those that, that are listening, mm-hmm. don't know David Z. Is David Z. Rivkin worked with Prince, obviously. So that's yeah. that was part. I believe that was part of the influencer because like i said there's a very prince slash mini quote-unquote 80s minneapolis vibe to that tune definitely uh the songwriters were his name was aaron zigman and jerry knight and Mm. they particularly they told us they particularly wrote the song with the bass line that almost had that erotic erotic city sound on it but they switched it up slightly and then when we were out of minneapolis we were also big fans of prince we were so fortunate that we were discovered when Prince came out with Purple Rain. Record companies were looking into the Minneapolis area, and the Jets happened to be, you know, a part of that scene. And that's how we got discovered. But definitely the, the Prince influence was big. We had some amazing um, 
musicians that work with us that were all working with Prince. So you're definitely going to get that vibe if you're going to be working with some of the people that, you know, uh, mixed mixed with Prince and his vibe. And that's great. The first song was, was a lot of fun, and it definitely had that Minneapolis sound. I couldn't help but notice even, even Elizabeth's v- vocal on that song kind of has it it sounds like some it, it, it's almost a print style vocal delivery kind of in that early 80s <laughs> sound i mean it's it's kind of yeah. like that or something you might have heard from apollonia or someone like that from that era right yeah yeah that was definitely and the and the cool thing is is that uh, it was our first single record company purposely didn't put a photo of the group just so they could see if if the music would do its thing it was released in the black uh, music radio back then they separated black radio from pop music and we did really well in the in the black market. All the radio stations took to the Jets. And then by the time the other singles came out, they, they welcomed us with open arms. So that was definitely a blessing. Now, was there, to the to the point of that so-called sound, you guys, obviously, you, you mentioned enjoying a lot of the music and the Prince era music. But did you guys ever consider yourself to be part of that, being that you were at the time based in the Twin Cities and thus were kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, lumped in with Prince and the time, and then, and of course, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were just starting to get going as their own production team right at that time as well. Or did you think yes. of yourselves as a separate entity? How did you think of that? We we weren't um, connected officially to what was happening with Prince, other than the fact that we work with every one of his musicians. We all of our sound crew, all of our roadies, were all the same. But we do consider ourselves part of the Minneapolis family, and whenever we see or get together with, uh, you know, all the Minneapolis groups that came out with Prince. We do feel like a family. We're proud to be part of that Minneapolis family. And um, it's awesome to see that they acknowledge us as well. And we did um, a few of our albums at Prince's studio. We were the first group to do a video shoot at Paisley Park. We did another video at First Avenue. So I guess you could say without really saying we were connected to Prince, even if it wasn't directly to him, everybody we worked with, and the studio to work with were actually connected with him. So when you go into the studio and you guys were obviously you seasoned performers over over the years with your family of all of the of the touring going into the Hawaiian Inn and everything like and everything <laughs> like that over over time. So then you right. go into the studio now you've got your record contract and then as I understand from some of the other interviews well now it's time to bring the other let's bring in the pros to do the to do the actual performing uh, except for obviously the singing you guys have to do the singing but a lot of the instrumentation is if correct me if i'm wrong we're done by studio yeah. musicians so what's the reaction yeah what's the reaction to that when you guys go in and go oh these guys are going to end up doing the stuff that ends up on record you know i think it was a friendly thing everybody knew you know there's live musicians and there's those that are professional we all kind of help each other get work and uh, we worked with some amazing talent. The, the Peterson family in particular did a lot of our music. Uh, Paul Peterson and Ricky Peterson did a lot of work with Prince. Um, and they treated us like family because they were a family themselves. So, um, yeah, there was like a respect there for, you know, we knew that we came kids that were 11 to 19 just getting into the business. We understood that if you're going to have a record that plays 20, 30 years from now, you know, you've got to have the right musicians that know how to lay it down. Um you know, professionally, and then we we knew how to pick up fast. We were all pretty quick learners on how to pick up the music um, for live performance. 
so you you're recording there in the studio. Now, how many vocals did you not? not I know Elizabeth did basically all of the female lead vocals on some of the what the first two albums, especially if if memory serves me right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. How much singing did you do on those earlier albums? I'll be honest. I did mostly backgrounds, and when it came to live stuff, um, Elizabeth just happened to be. She just had this natural talent at such a young age. And her voice matured so quickly, people don't don't realize that Liz was only, you know, 11, 10 or 11 when we recorded You Got It All, Make It Real. She was very young. I uh, was kind of like in her shadow, learning along the way. By the time I got old enough and my vocals matured, um, it was probably a third or fourth album where we where I finally started to take a, a step into doing more lead vocals. And then live, we always shared the vocals, which really helped because that's a lot for a young girl to take on for a good 90 minutes to you know, two-hour show. So um, that's kind of how we, we broke it up. Liz was basically, the, the, I was her sidekick, I could say. <laughs> um, and then only in the last, um, I'd say, 15, 20 years, I've taken the lead um, when she decided to bow out after she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, but her and I were best friends all the time, traveled together, siblings, of course. But um, I ended up taking the leads on most of the music about 20 years ago. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how it was. In the beginning, Liz laid down all those tracks at such a young age, and I was kind of just the backup singer and her sidekick. She was super shy. Is she her her vocals sound and and has been described uh, almost an innocence about it, and yet there is a maturity. I did not know, and I was a I was a kid in the eighties myself. I was I, I was when Crush on You hit. I was we turning all, eight. We were all the same age. Huh? I know, <laughs> and yet here was the thing. So I'm, I'm again comparable age, but her maturity in her voice. I always presumed that, oh, they must be 20-somethings or something, because everyone who's older than you seems also infinitely older, even if they're about the same age. I did not right. know until probably 15 years later, start looking up stuff on looking up 80s history and go, wait, what? She was in, like, she was like 12 when she did that? I, yeah. I didn't know a 12-year-old could have that kind of voice. That, she it, definitely was blessed with just, uh, that's, that's really the reason why our former manager who created the Jets, um, ended up taking um, us in and becoming our manager. As he came out to see the show, we were working at a little lounge, and he was like blown away by her vocal ability. He was like, "Wait, she's how old is she? She's ten? You know, by the time the, the the first record came out, I think we were like eleven and twelve. But it takes a good year and a half to do a record, and so Liz was about ten and eleven when she was recording all those lead vocals for some of those hits. There is a scene in the Crush on You video where you, it's both of you two at the front, obviously, in, in the scene there. And, of course, you see Elizabeth singing the vocals. The camera cuts over to – I think that's you, I want to say, that would be on her right to the left from the camera yeah. angle. And mm-hmm. where, the, where, the, where the part in the verse goes up high, and it seems you singing, so I presumed that that was you. Is, is that you actually on the track, or how, how did that work there? That that was kind of a mix of double, me and Liz. I, I told you that we were, I was still pretty new at that. So that, were my emotions so easily read? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was Elizabeth and then little Moana trying to mimic her on all the leads with her. So I did a few, back then they used to do a lot of things they called double and tripling on vocals to kind of fatten the track. And so Liz would lay down a lead and then they'd have me come in and do a lead with it. So on those high parts, yeah, it was like a doubling effect. Cool. Now, what? Yeah. Let, let's get in, let's into your videos and some of the memories mm-hmm. of them. You mentioned, of course, shooting some at some of the Prince locations. What stands out about making those videos? Of course, there's the there's the the 
the diner scene into the club scene in the You Got It All video, and then the 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 multicolored thing with with the woman with the weird hairstyle and the Rocket to You video and everything like that. What are some of your memories of shooting those videos, and also the process of okay, here's a group that's been performing around smaller scale things, and now. We're going in with a full-on film crew, and we're shooting a video that's going to be on MTV and is going to go nationwide. What are your memories of that whole process? Uh, totally surreal. At 11 years old, where MTV was huge. We'd been watching Michael Jackson's Thriller and tons of you know Madonna, Prince on there. Um, we didn't believe it until we actually seen it on MTV and on VH1. Um, but yeah, when you notice that the amount of crew members showing up starts growing and you've got makeup artists and wardrobe people, you start to realize, well, this is actually bigger than we ever expected. It's not just like dad on a camcorder, you know, with his kids, it's, you know, tons of people, a huge production, you know, producers on there and directors coming in. I think it was, it was exciting and we couldn't believe we were actually a part of the whole thing. What is a, a day of a video shoot like in terms of, like, you have one take, multiple takes? How do, how do those sort of things go? It's it's pretty much what, what anyone, well, I guess it, what a mini movie would be. It, most of our videos always took about two days. And they always started at 5 in the morning till like, 2 in the morning, go home, sleep, get up, and you're back in hair and makeup. And the crew is the same. They're just kind of sleeping on five or six hours. Directors have kind of a timeline, so they want to get every shot done and then they're gone but yeah it's a making a mini movie it's a two-day ordeal of you know working together but it's also super exciting to kind of watch the production unfold you know we don't we never knew what camera angles were or lighting or all kinds of things that you know you kind of learn right on the job you're standing there while they're changing the lighting for because you've got some different clothing on so they've got to change the angles um yeah it was kind of a crash course in what it might be like to create a mini movie how much input in terms of the artist of the artistic direction of a given or the treatment if you will of a video did the family have in that or was it someone came up and said all right we're going to put you in this 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 and you kind of went with it what was the balance of those two i think the balance back then was we were so young our parents were immigrants they could barely speak english bilingual home and we were still learning what the business was about. We had a, we were fortunate to have a wonderful manager who had been in the business, you know, managing Stevie Wonder and David Bowie. So he'd been in Motown Records and then left for a while. So he understood the gist of what, what could make it and what couldn't. And when he picked the songs he did, um, we're really fortunate that he had an ear to hear what melodies meant, what, what would be a great hook, what, what you know, our audiences would like about the music, and he was the one that came up with the concepts of the video. We sat together, he would tell us, look, I'm thinking of this idea, how do you guys feel about it? And when you're 11 and 13 and 15, you're kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, like, okay. Um, But he was very forefront with us about the concepts he had ideas for. And he let us know um, what they were about. But Don Powell basically was the one that kind of masterminded a lot of the ideas. And for good reason, we were learning like students, you know, what the business was about back in the day. And um, I mean, I, I pay him respect for that because um, he really did have a vision for what he thought he could do with a group of Polynesian kids out of Minneapolis, you know. And he got he started getting the career going, started with 1985. The album first comes out. Curiosity starts to get going. What is the first moment that you kind of went, OK, wait a minute, this is... 
this is on a whole nother level here. We're on to something totally new and the fame is really kicking in. Or is it one of those where there was always like one of those like a cascading moments? Was there like a singular moment or how can you describe that that feeling of we're in a new era now and we've really hit it big? Um, we knew things were changing for us when um, we left the Twin Cities and were racing to see who could warm up for Tina Turner. We had seen her show. They were looking for a, a warm up group. And we were racing against a Minneapolis band called Limited Warranty. They were on Star Search. And it was between the Jets and Limited Warranty. Whoever could get to Ames, Iowa first <laughs> would warm up for Tina Turner. <laughs> and um, the Jets made it, you know, just by a hair. We got there first <laughs> and um, warmed up for Tina Turner. And you step on a stage full of people that are watching this legend. And, you're, you know, you're the opening act, but you're like, this is not, you know, the lounge and the club that we were working in back in Minneapolis, you know, down the street from, you know, some small little scaled, you know, hotel. This is this is a big deal. These are big arenas. Um, yeah, Tina Turner, big name, legend, and the Jets get to warm up for her, even if it wasn't Ames, Iowa. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that was very surreal. We were at the Minnesota Music Awards where we were um, – I think we were in the same nominated for like best group or artist of the year, along with other Minneapolis groups. When you see Prince and you see Sheila E and you see Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, all kind of in the same genre. And we're thinking, wow, we're that's when you realize it is definitely bigger than we ever could even conceive. Um, and then going to the Grammys and the American music awards, I think that blows your mind because you watch it on TV and now you're sitting there and they're escorting you in saying, we're taking you on the red carpet. Um, jets need to be here at this time it it blows your mind that it's actually happening so yeah those specific events stick out to me when you would hear a song on the radio what's what was your reaction then and what is your reaction today when you hear those recordings on the radio um back then it was just holy cow this is us today after 30 years i'm a mother of six children um I can't believe I had that life. You know, there's not everybody has an opportunity like that. And there are amazing musicians and artists in the world. Songwriters by far more talented than what the Jets were that never had that opportunity. Um, I think I have a sense of gratitude that I didn't have um, just because it doesn't happen to everyone. So today it's just kind of a sense of, I I lived a life that uh, my kids can't even understand. And now I'm just, you know, taking care of my kids, dropping them off at school. Um, yeah, it's just a very, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I feel blessed that, you know, I kind of have that legacy to kind of share with my kids that you never thought this, you know, a bunch of um, Polynesian kids from the islands, you know, immigrant family could actually do something and make their mark in the industry. And uh, it blows me away more when my kids show up and they're like, why are these people screaming and singing along with you guys? They know your music. I'm like, yeah, I, I was kind of cool one time. I don't know if you know that, like 30 years ago. <laughs> what was the pinnacle? What was the 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 peak, the zenith of of that era of 19, especially 85 through about 88, 89, 90, if you want to get a little further to the Greatest Hits album. What was the peak moment? Is there a certain point where like, okay, we were at the top of the world in whatever way you could quantify that or define that? Geez, it's a tough one. We it 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 definitely was between like eighty six and eighty eight is where the Jets made their biggest mark. 
I think when you see, um, you know, they don't have those shows today, but when you are on American Bandstand with Dick Clark and Solid Gold and MTV, um, and you're so busy, you don't have time to breathe, you realize, wow, there's so much going on. They're trying to capitalize on making sure the band accesses as much as they can during the success. Um, yeah, it was definitely during those two years that we've seen the most success um, across the board, all over the nation, and also overseas in certain areas of the world where they're not even speaking English, but they're definitely singing the songs, the words to our songs. Um, it was just during that, those two years that really um, kind of, for me, seemed like it was the pinnacle of our success was 86 to 88. There was a PSA that I remember being on television, and I'm sure other people brought it up <laughs> plenty. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about here. And I had forgotten about it for a long time. And so while I was getting ready for the interview, I went, okay, the Jets PSA, I look it up on YouTube, and there comes Be Smart, Don't Start. And went, I remember hearing that. That was on TV, like every other commercial break for about three years. I mean, it came right back into my head. How did you guys get associated with doing that campaign? Because, I mean, obviously for a lot of people, it's to this day, 30 years later, we can just be smart, don't start. <laughs> don't start. Uh-huh. How did um, that come about? Well, I, I'm going to make some assessments here or, you know, assumptions, but we were invited to sing at the Easter Egg Roll Parade at the White House. And um, we're a family, so we were fortunate enough that anything that had to do with wholesome family, children, teenagers, we were always invited to be a part of those kinds of associations. So um, Nancy Reagan's Be Smart, Don't Start campaign was out. And I think it was when we went to the White House and we were performing at the Easter Egg Roll Parade that we were invited to be a part of that new campaign. Um, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. That's how we got it. We <laughs> might have to ask Don Powell because I, I was about 12. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it definitely stood out to the to this day. That was very, it was very much out there. Um, I'm so I'm surprised you remember that. That's funny. I know it's buried back in my in the back of my mind for again. It's probably been dormant for 25, 30 years. But as soon as I heard <laughs> it again, it's like a song you haven't right. heard in forever, and suddenly it all comes flowing back to you. But yeah, it, it was on TV yeah. a lot. Uh, to that point about favorite songs and to the to the the biggest hits. I mean, I can still picture. I still remember being in a Chi-Chi's in Eau Claire back in January of 1987. <laughs> yep, we used to have a Chi-Chi's uh -huh. here. And oh, that's I was there with my parents. We're waiting for our table to be ready. So we're waiting in the bar. They have VH1 on and on a big projector screen. And VH1 was like two years old at the time. And I remember seeing the You Got It All video on there. That's this, that's vivid in my memory. And that is, no wow. lie, that's probably one of my top five favorite 80s songs of all time. I'm not just saying that. That always has been. It's one of those songs where if it comes on the radio to this day, I'll probably stop what I'm doing and listen through the whole thing. And I'm not just saying that. That is absolutely God's honest truth to that. Oh, that's amazing. That that it, that's goes to prove good songwriters who are inspired and have passion can write music that, you know, kind of outlasts the time and can be timeless like that. That's right. amazing. And that was and then I recently discovered it was Rupert Holmes that that wrote that. So obviously some good talent there in writing it, but then the, the delivery of that Elizabeth's delivery on that. So that's I mean that's my favorite, but what do you, which song among Jets fans would you say is the most favorite song? If you had to pick one, what gets the oh, strongest geez, reaction? That's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Um 
I think among fans, we get a heavy response from, uh, you're going to say one, but I say two ballads, You Got It All and Make It Real. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of response from those two. Um, as a young Jet, Moana, um, I used to love Crush On You mm-hmm. and Private Number, but the older I've gotten, I, the, the, the slow ballads are more sentimental to me because I actually understand them. At, at 11, me and Liz were like, what does You Got It All mean? What is that? But, you know, when you're, you've gone through a relationship, you recognize what the meaning of these love songs are about. What songs maybe have surprised you over the years in terms of fan popularity? Oh, she's um, surprised me. You know, we had eight top ten hits in three different categories. We had songs that were on the dance charts, the pop charts, and uh, actually four category, R&B charts and also adult contemporary charts. So there's some songs that came out that didn't get as much um you know as as much popularity as you got it all and make it real but there was a song written by diane warren another amazing songwriter called the same love mm, yes and we got a lot of uh response from that overseas especially in the philippines and in asia um and then the funny thing is is expose did the same song they like uh revised that same song after we had released it they came out with it again so we always laugh about it we're like one of these days we're going to do it together we may do it together you know there when we come to wisconsin so that would be awesome i was wondering if that might happen down at black river falls coming up on on may 10th that would be fascinating from that album that was from the album believe and that was the yes. it was the first album where the, the commercial success started to tail off some. And, and seeing in the unsung mm-hmm. documentary, which we'll get into a little bit, kind of describes the what was happening. Part of it was the music industry, and there was a whole lot of other things happening. Had history been different, had Believe been a hit, had the first single gone top 10, top 5 again. Had that happened instead of peaking in the 50s and it's, it's all down. How does right. the history of the Jets change? Understanding, of course, mu- the music industry was about to change in the 90s and grunge was going to come in, that it was a different sound mm-hmm. in general. But how do you think the Jets would have gone going forward had Believe rolled around and it's the third smash album in a row? I think it, I, th- I just think it would have given us better longevity, maybe allowed us to transition into the 90s better. Um, but like you said, those are just all, you know, those are all just assumptions of could have, would have, should have, or what could have been. Um, but it's it's just that's the nature of the business is, you know, there's always a new kid on the block that's going to come in and, uh, you know, make their own mark. And then the, and then the music is going to change. I do realize that I'm older that everybody does. Our manager had said every group goes through peaks and valleys. And uh, we weren't realizing that we'd been on radio straight for five years. And, you know, radio needs a break from different groups. Some can outlast it and be, get creative for us. Um, we definitely felt the sting of things changing when the music changed and record companies were dropping, you know, amazing good artists that were making, you know, had good hits. They were just letting go of, of artists left and right so they could kind of swing into the new era of music. Was there a point in the year, ensuing years or even decades, are going to cut the 90s and the 2000s up until some of the reunions really started to kick in in the, in the 2010s? Was there a point where, and presuming that there was a nadir of, well, the Jets, they're, they're from the 80s, we're not going to focus on them, just kind of in, in culture. Was there a point where you started to go, oh, there are fans that, that remembered us after all and that they were there all along. It just went through the cyclical eras of dormancies and, and fads and everything. Was there a point when you went, oh, okay, 
there's there actually is a there's still a groundswell of interest for the Jets, and this this can endure for the long term once again. Yeah, it definitely um, kind of shocked us. Maybe around 2009, we've been out of the business for a while. The, the family struggled to try and keep in the business, but like all things, they just people want to hear new things. It's unfortunate for those who do it for a living because then you're like, what do I do now? Um, and it can be very hard on a family. It can be hard on any artist. Um, 2009, we had a reunion together in Hawaii um, for a show with Expo, sorry, En Vogue and a few other groups. We were so shocked at the response. I mean, we'd all been taking care of our families, kind of laying low. And we get this sold-out crowd that's chanting after we're finished. En Vogue's supposed to come on, but they will not stop chanting for the Jets. And maybe because we're Polynesian, too, it probably helped. Mm-hmm. But in Hawaii, it kind of surprised us that we had such a response. And then with the Internet, just, you know, Internet coming out, everything changed for a lot of artists. People who are my age could go and say, wait, I remember this song in prom. I want to listen to it again. What are they doing now? Um, it was definitely a new era of people um, being able to get access to groups that they remembered from the past. Um, but, yeah, probably the last five years, it's surprised me how many 80s um, fans we have. And I'm sure it's because we're all the same age and everyone wants to reminisce and enjoy the music from their era, from their, you know, growing up in their adolescent years. Um, yeah, it shocks me today, but it, it's just like, wow, we didn't, we didn't think we had um, any kind of demand anymore. There's so much music coming out. But um, I'm, I've heard that, that saying, once a hit, always a threat. And it's kind of nice to know that you'd play a, a jet song and you hear an arena start singing it. You're kind of blown away when you get off the stage. You go home to your kids. You're like, man, they actually remember. <laughs> it's even weirder when you walk into a Walmart and you're you know shopping for your kids and it's on the radio. And you know your husband kind of smirks at you and says, interesting song. And we all start laughing. Um, but yeah, it it just goes to show that I think if there's if there's a song that has that kind of a power. And people, it takes them to a place in history where they were at. Um, it'll always be sentimental. And, and I've got songs in my library that bring me back to certain times in my life. Um, so, yeah, today it's um, it's a blessing to know that people are still interested in hearing the Jets. And we're happy to, you know, I'm happy to run away from my kids on the weekends and say, I'm going to be a diva, so <laughs> leave me alone. And then I come back on Monday and get back to my laundry again. <laughs> <laughs> Got a day job and another day job in in effect, one way or the other. Yeah. What, yep. Now you yeah. guys again. The 2010 there was there was a reunion, and I know there were some recordings, the reunion albums. Then came well, there was the the parting, if you will, and now there's and the end result is that there's there's two jets. Uh, yeah. De- describe what. Yeah. yeah. What's the status at right now? It's one of those where I guess we're always hoping it changes at any given moment, but where is it at right? Now, of the two versions of, of at least original the, the members of the Jets. Is, the status is that there are two Jets today. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a falling out with, we started getting a lot of work, and we were excited about that. But some of the ways that uh, things were being ran was like, they still thought us girls were still 12, 13, and 14. And we were like, no, we've got kids now. We have our own mortgages to pay. It wasn't very transparent. And for so many of us, it's it's not worth it if we it's not feasible for us to go out and perform if we know we can't make a living doing it. 
And um, yeah, I'm only speaking for myself. I've got my brothers that will, can speak for themselves too. But um, they weren't very transparent with us. We hoped that we could make it work, but it didn't. And as a result, our older brothers, three of them, decided to sue um, the five of us over the name that they had priority over. They, they believed that they owned the name, and that they were the ones that could run around doing shows as the Jets and not us girls. And so they wanted to sue us and keep us out. Um, the lawsuit lasted two years. We were injuncted. We couldn't even use the name. We were, we were only allowed to be former members of the Jets. Um, but eventually we were able to settle it. We, us girls were awarded the name and we transferred it to everybody because it belongs to everyone. And now we share it equally. But I think we're a family and then we have been in a band. So we need time to just get over it, you know. And so it makes me happy that fans are like, come on, you guys can do this. You know, just take your time you need to get over it. Um, you know, when you're getting sued by your own family, but you're getting sued for a substantial amount, it's not going to be that easy just to get back in there and start rehearsing again. You know, you got to get over years and years and years of, you know, just how everybody feels about each other. They feel this way. We feel this way. And so I think the time is the healer. And then I think as a family because we all have kids that are all cousins, we're going we're gonna to get over this and, you know, get together and work. Eventually, we'll all be too old to do it anyway, so we better get over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we can enjoy the music and enjoy the, the times that we have. So that's kind of where it stands now. Two different groups that are the Jets. Um, three of our brothers go as the Jets with other singers. And then we're the lead singers of the original group that go as the Jets. Um, me, Kathy, Eddie, Elizabeth, and then a little sister, Natalia, who's been singing lead vocals for the last 15 years. Nice. So that's kind of, I hope that clarified it. Yeah. And so ba- it, essentially it is like, there's not really a, a difference in terms of the musicality. It's ba- it's essentially two, two sets of the, mem- that this is, all, I almost want to say it's unique because I, because I mean, you'll sometimes hear of different versions of the drifters and the coasters and the platters. That was like a thing for a while of having, of having like yeah, one yeah. person, but here you actually have essentially half the group or I guess three fifths. Cause you can almost narrow it down that way. And, right. and, or three fourths and then four fourths and the other side, or, you, you know, <laughs> getting out here, my math is off, but, right, but yeah. you, you guys are basically doing the same thing. It's just in two separate tracks, but you're both, Essentially, you we're are both, both the Jets. Yeah, we're both the Jets, and they and, and our, our brother Heidi was saying "Rocket to You," which was uh, our Grammy-nominated single. So they have every right to perform as the Jets. We just didn't want them to take that right from us, since we were the lead singers of the Jets. So, yep, basically two groups that perform as the Jets, doing all the same Jet songs. Both have original members in it, um, but it's just one of those things. That it's just it is what it is for now. And eventually it will change. We're just glad that there was a settlement. We're glad that we share the name together. And um, eventually we need to get over it so we can be a family. It's To, to us, family is really probably the most important thing. You know, the music's going to come and go, but we need to be a family for the, the good and bad times. A lot of this is spelled out in the documentary, in the, in the unsung edition on the Jets, which has been on TV One. It gets into the stories of a lot of other artists and their stories maybe were not told let's say and behind the music was probably the preeminent example of a, of a storytelling documentary unsung has been yeah. covering a lot of the other ones as well that one it, i saw a version on youtube but if you have tv one of course one can watch it there how did uh, unsung come about and to decide to do a documentary on you guys well they had been getting a, a, there was a huge interest in 
I guess they had asked on the survey, who would you like to see un, unsung? And they had a huge response for what happened to the Jets. You know, we've heard from DeBarge. We've heard from a ton of other groups in the 80s. But what, what happened to the music group, the Jets? They just disappeared. And um, they'd been bugging us right during the litigation. And we all, re- you know, us girls turned it away. It was just too uh, close to home for us. Um, so we, we gave it two or three years. And then last year we agreed to do it. Um, you know, when you when you have to talk about what you did your whole life from the time you were nine or ten till now, <coughs> it's just something you have to um, really take in. So we did that. Unsung got a hold of us really because of the interest. A lot of family fans were asking, we want to hear what happened to the Jets. Um, and we just had to feel like it needed to be in a really good place. Settlement happened with the lawsuit, and then we were like, you know what, we're on the – we're on the healing part, so we can do this, and that's kind of how it came about. Okay, so you you are you guys working on other new music projects at this point, or is we're going to get another new album or EP? And or when a lot of the artists I'll talk to say they're not even doing albums or doing songs on a kind of a single by single basis. Are you guys going to be working on any new music anytime soon? We would like to. We 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 did the one album that we wanted to release, uh, reunited. And it's funny that it's called Reunited because we're not united yet. <laughs> but we were at the moment. But it also it gives us a chance to have um, us reflect on what we should do. It's music industry is so huge today. There's so much music. It's so um, saturated with talent um, that we've got to figure out where our lane is and where you know where the demand is and if it makes sense for everybody. But definitely we've. I've, we've gone into gospel music, gone into children's music and reggae music and stuff. So I think we're just going to take it slow. And those who still follow the Jets will hear some of the new material that we're working on. And we'll probably do some while we're there at, in uh, Wisconsin at the casino. And are you working on any additional solo projects? I know you were a guest. I believe you were guested on Sarah Wolfgram's A Song for the Soul from last October. Of course, you mentioned the the gospel album. That even goes back to, to last decade. Are you there any solo or alternate projects that you are working on? I am. And my husband and I are both songwriters. It's one of those things where with six kids, are like, we need to get this done. Yeah. And then like five years go by, we're like, we didn't get it done yet. So I've been working on an album that's taken me forever. Um, I'll get it done. It's mixed between gospel, R&B. Um, but that's what I'm doing. Elizabeth, um, is, she's just a busy mom of seven. Some of my, yeah, like Sarah, I'm surprised. You do, you've done your homework pretty well. <laughs> you know a lot of the material we have. Um, I'm working on some new stuff, but I hope I get it out. I'm glad you reminded me of that so I can get to it. <laughs> if uh, that helps spur it on, all the better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to, on, on the point of... Um, on, on the point of inspirations and what what's getting you to do other music, what musical acts are inspiring you today? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, right in the pop market, it would definitely be the Adele, Bruno Mars, Jack Johnson. Um, three different kind of vibes. Uh, Bruno Mars, entertainer all the way. He's a fan of old school music. You can tell by all the stuff that he's released that he was a child of the 70s and 80s that just, you know, loved all of that music, and then he's reintroducing it into this new world. Then you have an Adele who's just a class act, vocal. She's been able to tear down walls when it comes to image, and her voice just stands the test of time, and uh, she's a powerhouse. Um, And then Jack Johnson, he's kind of a local kid from Hawaii, 
surfer kid that just kind of always stayed true to his music and always authentic. And we've become good friends. I lived in Hawaii for 10 years and um, just always love that he could remain himself through thick and thin. He's still kind of the same dude that flip flops and, you know, surfer shorts and a t-shirt and he can still go out and sell out stadiums and then come home to his family <laughs> and um, take a break when his wife has another kid and not be afraid that oh you know your your time is going to be up and you need to capitalize he's not he's not afraid of that he's very authentic to what he does so yeah those would be my three okay how many this is it has a musical relation to this but how many wolfgram's are there at this point, counting everyone from your parents to the siblings to all of the nieces? Is there a count at this point? We're up to like 50 or 60 that I see somewhere. Correct me yeah, if I'm so wrong. We, my, yeah, my parents had 15 biological children. We adopted two Samoans, so that made 17. Um, that's Eddie and Eugene. They were in the Jets. Um, out of our whole family, because there's, you know, after the Jets, there were nine other siblings our parents had. A big big house household. <laughs> there are a about sixty grandkids now, and six great grandchildren. <laughs> so. so we're getting close to a hundred at this point, I think. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, my parents are still alive and very healthy, um, and doing well. They're doing good, and you know we're just all ta- you know doing what we have to do to raise. We're very family oriented. So if you don't know where the Jets have been, we're just raising our kids. Heidi's <laughs> got fourteen kids. I've got six. Elizabeth has seven, um, and everybody else has about three or four. Wow! In the family, so, so um, yeah. So, how many of them? How many of the of the of the younger generations? And I guess we have to get into plural now, getting into in, even into the the next generation, <laughs> the six. How many are, except for obviously the youngest, are involved in music in some capacity? Oh, probably every one of them. I'd say for for out of the nine, they were after the Jets. There's probably a good six, six or seven of them that's still either songwriters, either musicians, studio musicians, or um, they perform live, like entertaining different places. They're all still involved. Wow. So it's, it's, yeah. it had, again, alternate history had that moment that's in the documentary, the, the story of how your, your father laid out all the musical instruments and, and, Leroy started on that and, and, and teaching everyone, and then everyone kind of figured out what they were going to do. What if the if if the risk had gone the other way and everyone kind of turned their noses and like, no, nah, I don't want to do that? How different is? I mean, obviously there's no there are no jets, but how different <laughs> is, are your life paths with if you if decided, we never did music, right? Um, jeez, I mean, the only other option our parents had for us was either yard work or show business. We were all landscapers. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we probably would have never left the Salt Lake Valley. This is where our parents immigrated from the island of Tonga. They came to America and moved here um, because of our belief in the Mormon Church, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, We probably would have stayed in the Utah Valley, started families. And, yeah, I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like versus gypsy kids on the road traveling as a music band ending up in Minneapolis of all places and making it in the music business in the eighties. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what my life would be like. It's really <laughs> weird to think that. Definitely would have been, would have been different, but at last you're performing, you'll be performing as we've been saying in black river falls on May 10th. Describe what that show is going to be like that night when uh, people come to Ho-Chunk gaming. We're excited because we get to do a longer set. It's about a 45 minute set. We warm up for expose on this show 
And uh, I think it's just a chance for us to connect with those who remember the Jets and the music of the Jets. Um, you know, we used to be a very high-energy performance show, and that was when I was high-energy 12, 13, 14, and 15. Today, um, I think it's more about connecting with people. And I love that because we get to sit with an audience that's mature and has a history of what they were going through, you know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago. So you're in a, you're, it's going to be a lot of dancing, entertaining, a lot of sit-down talking, and some musical moments where it's just vocals and guitar. And um, we're just excited to come to Wisconsin. My favorite, you know, the Midwest has always been, I feel like they're like, you know, heart of America, hardworking, those winters, man, they really, <laughs> they really, you know, if they can handle those winters, they're some of the best people in the world. And they're always so uh, helpful. I've, I've always missed, you know, not being back in, in the Midwest. So I'm excited for that, too. In Eau Claire, we just endured our snowiest month ever. Um, our old record was 35 inches in any month ever. And we had 53 this past February. It would, it, it was, oh my goodness! Yes, it was fifty-three. Fifty-three, and again, thirty-five was the prior record, and we blew, we yeah, it, it blew past it. We had the snowiest winter <laughs> in the history of Eau Claire. We almost got to a hundred inches total from over the winter, and most of it fell in February and March and April. Like we hardly had anything. So yeah, and we we survived oh, it. So I, I say it as yeah. a native upper Midwesterner. You're exactly right. We 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 go through it somehow. We survive it, and we've come out on the other end. And it's 62 and sunny today. So it's it's yeah. oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we're excited to come and hang out. Yeah, we are looking forward to it. Thank you so much for taking time to to chat with us today, and we're looking forward to the to the show. We'll hopefully talk to one of the folks from uh, Expose coming up soon. But uh, Moana, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for all the music you guys put out. It made an impact on a lot of our lives, uh, those of us listening, myself included, especially. So thank you. That uh, my mom was a was a fan of the group back back then as well. <laughs> so thank you so very much for doing what you do, and best of luck on all the live dates and going down the road. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's been wonderful to hang out and talk with you. Well, that was really cool. Getting a chance to talk to one of the Jets, one of the people who was on that song, in the video for that song, You Got It All, and a lot of the other hits that were part of my childhood, maybe part of your childhood or part of your life, whatever age you were when you heard those songs, especially back in the 1980s. We'll have similar interviews like this here on Got Time for a Quick Story. A lot of artists' interviews, but maybe some that aren't artists, some that are related to the music industry, some that have nothing to do with music at all, but all interesting in some way, shape, or form. So hopefully you have subscribed to this podcast already. If not, I would strongly recommend that you do. Recommend it. Tell other people about it. And stay tuned for another edition coming soon. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.